0: in Jesus' The battery is on, and I look down. There he goes. They're they're fixing it back there. Okay, so we're going to talk about the God I wish you knew, the God I know and love, the God of the Bible. And we're going to talk more about that today. But if you're a guest with us, and it, maybe it's your first time in church in a long time, and you're like, "This is a little weird." People are standing, and we're singing, and we're raising our hands and stuff. I want you to know that this this is a this is how we worship our God, um, and it's it's not an, an, an un a natural or a normal thing to do if you go to rock concerts or any other place uh, when somebody does a really something really amazing what do we do we cheer and we throw our hands in the air and we say yes good job band good job you two or Coldplay or whoever it happens to be that's up there um, and that's what we're doing when we worship our god we raise our hands we're saying yes good job god you did an amazing thing this week and we believe in you. And so that's what we're doing. I promise you today during the service, no cats will be harmed at any point. We won't do any sacrificing of weird things. I know we don't have windows in here and places without windows are creepy sometimes. But we won't do any of that. And we're gonna, what we're going to do is we're going to talk about who God is and why we worship and why we lift him up and why we talk about him all the time. So let's get started this morning with this thing. Uh, We're going to start with a uh, a really old school church thing to do called the call and response. Now, the church has been doing this for thousands of years. It's where I say one thing and you respond with another thing. Um, Since old school is cool again, we're going to do it together, okay? Old school is cool again. I'm I'm wearing my Converse today. These have been around for a long time. They're cool. Um, I'm 41. I'm cool. See, old is cool, right? How many people over 40 are with me on this one? Yeah? All right. Over 40 set. Woo! How many under 40 set agree with me? All right. Thank you. Okay. I'm feeling good. Feeling good. All right. So we're going to do the old school Pentecostal call and response, which is the God is good all, and then you say all the time, and then I'll say all the time, and you respond with God is good. You guys got that? All right. We're going to just do it on the count of three. Ready? Right. Oh No, we're not going to do the count of three. That's just too much. That's just too confusing, isn't it? So I'm just going to go. Ready? God is good all the time oh man you guys are good at that let's try that again because it just feels so good ready it's, and it doesn't feel good just to me it's a good reminder right because it's, it's for God God is good all and all the time God is, God is good amen all right well have you guys ever come to the wrong conclusion about something ever yeah yeah a few times yeah a few times we we do it from time to time uh we come to the wrong conclusion you know, we, we think about it like this way. I mean, like, oh, I'm going to make the light. I'm going to make the light. And then you're speeding up and you go through the light as, and then the flashing lights are coming. And you're like, the light was orange as I went through, right? You came to the wrong conclusion. You could make it. I could make it to the gas station. It's just down the hill, right? It's just down the hill. I can coast as it sputters and dies 15 feet from the gas station. We you come to the wrong conclusion sometimes. You know, I can make this car payment. I could do it as long as I don't eat for the next seven years, Right? You guys have done that. Heidi and I one time came to the wrong conclusion. My wife, Heidi, who's sitting here, she's like, now, uh, she just gave me the very, very suspicious look of which story is he now going to tell and how embarrassed will I be? Um, Probably not too embarrassed, but it was one of our most embarrassing moments ever. So we came to the wrong conclusion one time. When we lived in Marysville, we had this house and we had a neighbor, they built this house like right behind us and it was two stories and so they looked down from their deck into our backyard and the lady that lived there, her and her husband, um, had a few children, and she would basically spend her entire day out on the back deck, chain smoking cigarettes and yelling at her kids and talking on the phone. She wasn't a very nice person. In like, fact, she never talked to us other than to like, glare at us. And I think it was just that stay away glare. You know that glare you get from people? So she's out there, and one day, you know, we notice that she is very pregnant. And we're like, wow. And then she has a baby. And we see her, and we're like, hey, congratulations, you had a baby. All right. She's like, thank you, go away. About a year after that, about a year after that, she's out on the deck again, smoking and yelling at her kids. And it isn't, smoking and yelling at kids doesn't make you a bad person. She just wasn't very nice. And so we were kind of scared of her, but we saw her and she was pregnant again. And Heidi, I like, wow, that's amazing. She's pregnant again. And so we went out to the backyard and we're like, hey, congratulations on the next baby. And she looks at us and you can all imagine the silence that ensued as she said, I'm not pregnant. Came to the wrong conclusion on that one. I don't think she ever spoke to us again. Her husband, like, was always talking to us. She never talked to us again after that. It was awkward, and it was painful. And, you know, it could have been hazardous to our health. You know, we were a little afraid after that. You know, and sometimes we come to the wrong conclusions that it can be hazardous to our health. It could cause our death. It could cause dismemberment. It could cause a separation in a relationship. But when it comes to God, coming to the wrong conclusion can have eternal consequences. Coming to the wrong conclusion about God can lead to an eternity separated from God. So it's really important that we come to the right conclusions about who God is and what he's like and what he wants from us and what we can receive from him and and in the end what happens between the two of us for eternity. It's important that we come to the right conclusions. Now I don't know about you, but I've had many times in my life where I have had questions about who God is. Has anybody here ever had questions about God? Yeah, all the time. <laughs> Many, many times I have come to that. I'm like, I'm questioning his character. I'm questioning if he's good, whether he's kind, whether he's powerful enough to do anything. He just sits in heaven, kind of isolated from all of creation and just watches and like, oh, that looks bad. I'm gonna go play the Xbox. You know, we kind of get these ideas about who God is. He seems separate from us. And there's a lot of people in our culture and in our world and maybe in these seats who are asking these really hard questions. And they're saying things like, you know what? From what I can see in the world, when I turn the news on, I'm seeing ISIS bombings in Syria. I'm seeing children bleeding in the streets. I'm seeing poverty in Africa. I'm seeing people in the United States fighting one another and shooting at each other for no good reason because of race or color. I'm seeing all of these divisions and this pain and this suffering. And then my grandma has cancer. And we got all of this stuff. We see pain and suffering in our world over and over and over again. It's true. And we say things like, If there is a God, he must not care very much about what's going on in the world because look what he's allowed to happen. And if he does care, he must not be very powerful because he's not doing anything about it, right? He must not be very good or he must not be very powerful and either way, he must not be God. But I want to share with you something that I have learned over the course of my life, something that's deeply important to me and I think can be deeply important and transformational for each of us. Whenever I experience questions about the goodness of God or who God is, I always correct back to Jesus. I always correct back to Jesus. The Bible says this, and Jesus himself said this. He said, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. That's John 14, 9. So if you want to know what God is really like, if you want to know what God really thinks, if you want to know God's character, what God values, what God cares about, And whether God is good or whether God is bad, whether God is connected to our world or not, you look at Jesus. This is the heart of the series we're starting today. This is the God I wish you knew. In this series, my hope is that you will get to know the God that I know and love. And maybe as you get to know him, you will come to love him in the same way that I do. It's gonna be a great series to invite your friends to. And that's just a, a side note. I hope that you will begin to invite friends into this conversation. It's one of this is one of the few places in the world where you can come and talk openly about hard questions about who God is. And we're not afraid of hard questions here. And so we're going to dive right into them. We're going to talk about the God I wish you knew and hopefully people will come to know the God that we know and love. Now, you might have friends that may not be interested in coming to church because it's weird there's no windows, right? I don't like going anywhere where there's no windows. The only places with no windows are creepy places. So Uh, you might want to invite them to a small group with you. We're going to start our small groups next week. We'll be launching them. And specifically, we're going to have sermon groups where people can discuss these very topics together in community, week by week. And there's going to be groups on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, and I think a Friday morning group. There's going to be five or six of them available to you to join and talk about them. Plus, the young adults have all their sermon groups, their 4 by 4 groups that they could be a part of. So invite friends to discuss it there. You can come and hear it here and discuss it there. So how many of you have heard of the painter Vincent van Gogh? Vincent van Gogh. He is really famous for one of my absolute favorite, favorite paintings. It's this one up here we're going to show you right now. The Starry Night. Isn't it beautiful? He is a magnificent painter. Now, you might not know that before he was a painter, Vincent van Gogh was a missionary. Did you know that? He was a missionary. And he left being a missionary to become a painter. And as they began to discover who God made him to be and what he was most capable of doing, what God had, it was like, this is the thing. He felt God's pleasure as he painted. And so he created this beauty. And you can actually see, to me, when I look at it, I see God mixed into it. See, maybe life as God sees it, alive and fire. It's absolutely amazing. You might not also know that Vincent van Gogh also struggled for many, many years with mental illness. He was, uh, He would have bouts of this mental illness that would come over him. He wouldn't be able to eat. He wouldn't be able to sleep. He couldn't work. He would just lie in his house for weeks on end in a bit of a mania and a a craze. And it would go for months and months at a time. He was completely incapacitated by this mental illness. And eventually leads to his, his dismemberment. He cuts off his own ear. And after that, he winds up killing himself in a very tragic end to an amazing painter. Now, Van Gogh wasn't just famous for paintings like this of nature. He also painted 30 self-portraits of himself this is a screenshot from Google I just searched I said Vincent van Gogh's self-portraits he, he painted over 30 of them and this is just a sampling of them and I want you to look at these paintings and, and notice do you see any one thing in common right there he never smiles van Gogh never smiles in his self-portraits and this tells us something about how van Gogh saw himself in his life as a painter The mental illness led to depression, to drug addiction, and eventual suicide. And you can see that the deep, deep unhappiness that was settled in him because of it, it's rendered in his reflection every time. He never smiles. Now you're all saying, good job, Pastor Jamie. Way to bring us all down. Right? Now The reason I want to tell you this story is because of this. This is Vincent Van Gogh's self-portrait about how he sees himself. Jesus is God's self-portrait. Jesus is God's self-portrait. Again, John 14, 9. Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. The Apostle Paul said it this way. Jesus is the image of the unseen God. God painted a picture of himself, and it was Jesus. It was Jesus. When we look at Jesus, what kind of person do we see? When I look at Jesus, I get an overwhelming sense that God is very, very good. He healed the sick. He cared for outsiders. He ate with the sorts of people that religious people don't eat with. They were called sinners back then. Jesus' life provides the clearest picture by which we can see the character and nature of God, his goodness. In, the, in this series so we're gonna be looking at, today's big idea is this, that God is completely good. He is never evil. He is always, always good. God is good all the time. All the time. God is good. Now, how do we know this? Well, First of all, we see this, that Jesus is God's goodness on display. I love, love, love the story of the rich young ruler that is found in Mark chapter 10, starting in verse 17. If you wanna open your Bibles to Mark chapter 10, this is the text from which we're gonna look at who God is. This is where we learn and understand about who God is from our, from our perspective. Verse 17 starts with this. And he was setting out on his journey, he's talking about Jesus, And as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up to him and knelt before him and asked, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus responds, I just lost my place, there it is. And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. No one is good except God alone. Now, some people think that this passage is Jesus actually denying that he is God. He's saying that there is a God that God is good and I am not him. People who argue that Jesus wasn't God will point to this passage and say that that's what's going on here. But I think that if you look at the rest of scripture, not just this one isolated case, you see that over and over again, Jesus doesn't deny his divinity. He actually promotes it and accepts it. He says, no, I am God. I am the son of God. I am. He is my father. I am his son. And he keeps coming back and back to it. So God must, or Jesus must be saying something different here than I am not God. He must be saying something else. And here's what I think he's doing. Jesus is telling this man that he is very close to the truth. In fact, he is closer than he realizes. Yes, only God is good. Do you realize that you're attributing God's goodness to me and you're doing it correctly? But the man was attributing the goodness of of God to Jesus for different reasons. Jesus has done a lot of good things at this point, right? He's healed people. He's touched people. Children love him. They've come to him. Uh, there's just story after story after story of Jesus being a good person. And I think that it really comes down to exactly the same common misconception we have today. The man fell into the common dis- misconception that doing good makes you good. Right? That's what we think in our world. If I do something good, I'm a good guy. You can show up to the office with coffee. What does everybody think? You're pretty good. Right? You do, you do something nice for a stranger. You feel really good about yourself. I'm a good person. Now we'll take that in our society and we'll go to the farthest degree. You know, I'm a good person. I don't need God. I'm a good person. I don't I don't need that religious stuff to help me be a good person. I know how to be good all on my own. We talked about this a little bit last week. It's the greatest lie that our culture will feed us. I'm okay, you're okay. I do good stuff, so I'm a good person. I'm a nice person generally. I'm a pastor I'm a leader. I'm a teacher. I do nice things for people. But I want you to know this, all of the good things that I do in my life, all of the good things that I think about myself, my Bible reading, pastoring, prayer, community service, hanging out with people who are having a hard time, all of those things, none of that makes me good. Only Jesus makes me good. Only Jesus in me makes me a good person. So Jesus is actually realigning this man's misconceptions of goodness. He's saying that it's not good things that I do that make me good. It is only God that makes me good. He says that it is God alone that is good, and that means that God alone defines goodness. He is the definition of good. Now, our definition of good is like, you know, a cafe moro latte. That's good. Or or Ferdinand's Ice cream, that's good. Russ Salvadolina managed Ferdinand's for, for years, and he would make me a peanut butter milkshake from Ferdinand, and that was good. Pizza, that's good. Gluten, that's good, right? We love gluten. Those things are good, but you know what? God is the truest definition of good. It's not pizza, it's not all of these things, and it's not our actions. God is good. God alone is good. And Jesus is God's goodness on full display. Now, Jesus is also God's goodness experienced. How many of you like Skittles? 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 Skittles lovers? All right, Skittles. Skittles, back in the day, made this. You guys remember this advertisement? Taste the rainbow, right? Taste the rainbow. You know what's so brilliant about this? Skittles took something that you could only experience in one way, a rainbow, visually, right? We could only experience a rainbow visually. You ever tried to go and touch a rainbow? It's, it's really hard, really, really hard. I recommend trying it the next time you see one. Go for it, okay? So we can really only experience rainbows visually by seeing it, and they took something we could only experience visually and said, now you can experience it in a new way. You can taste the rainbow. Ooh, Right? Jesus did exactly the same thing. You know that? Before, we could only experience God through the law. We could only experience God through bringing sacrifices and worshiping. We could only know God from a certain distance. But in Jesus, we find that now we can experience God in a new way. What we could only experience through a mediated worship experience before, we can now experience directly. Now we can experience him directly. We're going to continue to look at little stories about Jesus throughout the Bible. In Luke, uh, Luke chapter 5, 16, we see that Jesus has reached the point in his ministry that I would call fame, right? In Luke, I'm sorry, in Luke 5, Jesus, the, 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 the text says that the crowds began to press in on him. They were gathered around. They had heard about all the miracles. They'd heard about the feeding of 5,000 people. They'd heard about the feeding of... All of the other people in the other example, they heard about walking on water. They heard all of these amazing stories. And so like the, the paparazzi have gathered, right? They got their cameras out and they are like crowding him everywhere he goes. Jesus goes to the bathroom and they're like, we're waiting for him to come out and catch the candid shot, right? They're, he goes down and he's gonna have dinner at a cafe or a coffee shop with a, little, uh, with a tax collector or a sinner or something. They're waiting to see. And the crowds have gathered, not just the paparazzi, but the crowds who want something from him. The people who want to touch him, who want to be around him, they've all gathered around him. And at this point, he has hit this thing called fame. And he could do anything he wanted with it. Really? Did you ever think about that? I mean, Jesus could have gone any direction with this. If he wanted to be the next king of the world, he could have written his own bill. They'd have been like, yep, let's do it. And you're like, oh, hey, you want a jet? We're in. We'll right, Jesus saves right on the t- side of your jet. And you can be like, this could be amazing. Every time you land at the airport, everybody will know you're there and you save. It'll be good. You know, if you want a mansion on a hilltop, we'll give it to you. We'll give you whatever you want. If you'll just be our king, if you'll just do whatever and be this person of fame. It's something we hunger for deep down inside in a way, isn't it? We all want to be known. We all want to have value. We all want fame. And if not fame, what comes with fame? Money, power, position. Those things are attractive and alluring in our culture. But for Jesus who had the option to do anything he wanted with it, he chose something different. Instead of leveraging his fame, in Luke 5, we see Jesus turn away from it and go to the hillside to pray. He walks away from fame to go and be alone with his father. Now, if some religious types in our church might say, well, pastor, if you aren't filling up your tank with God, you've got nothing to give out. And I will say you're absolutely right absolutely true but i don't think luke wrote this story in there so that leaders would go okay i gotta go fill my tank and be with jesus right he's making a point here he's making a point here and this is the point that jesus was always willing to walk away from something good to grab a hold of something that was better fame is good fame feels good power feels good money and position feels good the the cheer of the crowds it feels great I wish you guys would cheer me more because I need to feel good, right? Woo! Yeah, that stuff feels good. But Jesus, he saw that and he said, this is good, but there is something better to be had. And that is time with his father. I love what Psalm 34 says. God himself says this through the, 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 the King David, the author of this psalm. He says, taste and see that the Lord is good. God invites us to experience his goodness. And that's what Jesus was doing when he walked away from the fame, when he walked away from the power and positions that the world would offer him to spend time alone with God. He was tasting and knowing the goodness of God and he was being filled with it. Have you ever had your phone die at the very worst moment? Yeah, you're like, you know, you're calling the tires flat on need, You know, you didn't ever get out where you were at. It just dies you get that sound you know that sound and it just burns dead And you're like shaking it come on come back to life you press the button a whole bunch of times you know why that happens you didn't charge it exactly phones operate on electricity they have to be plugged in every day in order to be filled with the power that they need to operate and to call your neighbor or to get a rescue or get a tow right we're really good at charging our phones. Almost never do we forget to do it. Almost never. We're not infallible, right? We're really good at keeping that sucker plugged in. Young adults will come to our house, and like, they'll be plugged in in different places. They're like, what's what, what all this phone? Everyone like, wants to die. I've got to be able to stay connected with Pokemon Go or whatever. They keep them charged at all times. Phones are designed to operate on electricity by being plugged into a wall, charging the battery we are designed to operate on god's goodness we are designed to connect with something that is better than the things of this world and to be filled with god's goodness i deeply believe that that is how we were made we are designed to operate on god's goodness when we connect with god regularly when we let go of things that seem good to grab a hold of something that is better we are filled with god's goodness And that is the only way that God's goodness ever comes out of us. It's not the things that we do that make us good. It's who that is in us that makes us good. It's God in us. Thirdly, we see that God's goodness is experienced in creation. Now, I've said before that a lot of people say, oh, I don't need God to be good. I can be good all on my own. And you know what else is true is that people who don't need God or don't like God or think God is something to just it's a crutch for other people, they can experience God's goodness without even knowing it. It happens all the time. And to a degree, uh, we see that, well, okay, Genesis chapter one, we see that God creates people and when he finishes his work, he wipes his hands off, he stands back and he looks and he says, it is, actually you're all wrong. He doesn't say that it's good. You know what he says? He says, it's very good. I mean, he's just like, I mean, God is not prone to exaggeration, right? He's not, a, God isn't prone to like adding pronouns to things. I think it's a pronoun, right? Any adjective? Okay. English majors, forgive me. It's an adverb. Ah, oh, glad you guys don't edit me all the time. Okay. God is not prone to adverbs. Is that better? If that's correct, give me a cheer. woo Okay. All right. So now you won't be distracted. We'll move on. God is not prone to adverbs. So God says about creation, about the world, Like he's made, he's made the whole planets, he made the Himalaya mountains, and he's like, hey, that's good. He made dolphins, and, you know, that, that's good. He made whales, those are good. He made trees, trees, those are good. And then he made people, and you know what God says about people? They are very good. They are very good. God didn't have to make the world in the way that he did. Do you ever think about that? He didn't have to. I mean, God could have made sunsets the most blasé thing ever. Like, oh look, the sun's bleeding again; it's dying. Oh. It would just be like, whatever. He didn't have to make sunrises glorious. He didn't have to, but he did. I saw one once. If you don't believe me, Google it. I mean, you can see them on the internet. You can watch the sunrise on the other side of the world. I think live. Ooh, that's pretty. I know most of you aren't going to be up for that, but they're amazing. They're amazing. And God didn't make it just so that we would be like, that's beautiful. You know, God's not like an artist who is looking for, for the fame of the artwork. Not looking for, you know, people to recognize it. God isn't like that. God's like, I made this so that you would say, wow. Not is that, only is that beautiful, but God is good. God is good. God is good and he must love us. God created creation for us to recognize his goodness in the world. God's goodness is also experienced in his actions toward us. Whether you're a believer or not, Matthew 5, 45 says this, God causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good, and the rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Jesus points out that good things come to good people and to bad people. Just because God loves us, because God wants to give all of us good things, God's goodness comes out in his gifts to us. We get the best of everything, whether we're good or evil. It doesn't matter whether we believe in God or not. We can experience God's goodness. You can experience God's goodness in all of these ways, but I imagine that God has much more for you to experience than you can ever imagine. More than you could ever imagine. Let's come back to the rich rich, rich, man ruler in Mark chapter 10 the rich young ruler came to Jesus and he asked the question, what must I do to be saved? What do I have to do? And this is Jesus' response. He says, you know the commandments. Do you know the law? You know how you're supposed to encounter God before? Do all these things. Do not murder, check. Do not commit adultery, check. Do not steal. He's like, does it count in the fourth grade? Check. Don't bear false witness. Oh, that's easy. Do not defraud did my taxes correctly check honor your father and mother Ooh, it wasn't very nice to my dad but i think i still honor him check and the man said to him teacher i've kept all of these things from my youth and jesus looked at him and loved him and said to him you lack one thing go and sell all that you have and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come and follow me we see that this wealthy man is coming to jesus because he senses inside that he lacks something He knows that he is missing something. He has all the right stuff. He's got the goods, right? He's got the goods. He's got the wealth. He's got the power. He's got the position. He's got the house. He's got the money. He's got the religious standing. He's done all the right things. But inside, he feels this sense that there's still something missing. And Jesus agrees. He's like, you're right. You are missing something. You lack one thing. Give it all away and follow me. Sell it all. If he did that, how much would that man have left to live on? Nothing. If he did that, how much would his house be worth to him? Zero. He would have been destitute. He would have been homeless. But he would have been completely reliant on God and God's goodness to provide for him. If he obeyed and gave up everything that defined him and that he defined as God's blessings, right? That's what we say. Look at my house. We, we, my wife and I, were blessed with a nice house. We, not an enormous house, but it's pretty. It's a great house. Young adults are going to come and ooh and aah over it later. We're like, you know what? God's blessed us with this house. It's a blessing. Some of you have a great retirement account. You're like, God blessed me with a great reti- retirement account. God blessed me with a great family. All of the things that we say are God's blessings. If this man took all of those, all of the things that he counted as God's blessings... Jesus is asking him to give them all away. Sell it all. Have nothing. Rely entirely on God to provide something even better. What this man was really struggling with was not religion. was not knowing God. But he was holding tighter to God's blessings than he was to God. Ah. Uh, right? Like, oh we do it don't we we hold on tighter to god's blessings than we do to god i'm guilty of that some of you are saying now god pastor if that's what it takes to experience god's goodness i'm not sure i'm in right am i am i the one am i being called to give everything i have to the poor like sell it all and just become poor and impoverished and give it all to god be like mother Teresa? i'm not sure that i want to experience god's goodness that much I don't know, maybe maybe you are that unlucky person. (laughs) Maybe that's you. That's between you and God. But what I do know is this, that we have to pry our fingers from the grip of good things in order to grab a hold of what is best. I think what Jesus is getting at here is that there is a goodness that only the godly can experience. Yes, you can have power, you can have wealth, you can have fortune. Those things can be good, they can be blessings from God. But there is a good that only the godly can encounter, a good that goes beyond sunrises and sunsets, a good that goes beyond wealth and fame and power. It's a good that we experience no matter what our circumstances, which brings us to our next point, that Jesus is God's goodness even when. Even when. We've all had the even wins or we know somebody that has an even win. Some of us are in an even win right now. Like even when I'm like this, Mary Bennett, one of our, I hope you don't mind me sharing, Mary. Is it okay if I share? Mary is the patri- or matriarch of our church. She is um, the mother of our church. And uh, Mary has been diagnosed with cancer, uh, breast cancer, and recently found out this week that they weren't able to get it all. And she's going to have to have a major surgery to have it all removed. And you know what Mary keeps saying to me? God is good. But God is good. Even when even when we go through this, God is good. God is good. The disciples once came to Jesus and they said, Master, this is at the end of this, uh, this, this passage where Jesus says to the rich young man, give it all up. And they're like, well, hey, we did that. Jesus, we gave up our homes. We gave up our families. We gave up our jobs. We left our boats and our nets and our, our tax collection tables. We left it all. We did all that for you. And Jesus' response to them is this. Whoever has given up homes and families or jobs for me will receive a hundredfold in return. Hey, that's a pretty good investment, isn't it? A hundredfold. I'm gonna give my house away and I'm gonna have a hundred of them. woo Yeah, you didn't think about the maintenance though. Like we can lock in on this. Wow, oh, I'm gonna, look at all this wealth and power I'm gonna get. And you know what? In the world, and in, in a lot of the churches in our world, they do that. They're like, Hey, you just put a seed in the ground. You just give a little bit of money. God is going to give you a hundredfold. If you give a dollar, you're going to see a hundred dollars. If you give a thousand dollars, you're going to see a hundred thousand dollars. Not only am I good at English, I'm good at math. People who start teaching this theology miss the next phrase, which is the proper term for Eng- in English here. The next phrase, Jesus says, they will receive a hundredfold in persecutions as well, in sufferings. Good news! If you give everything you have away from God, you're going to experience blessings that you never imagined, but guess what? You're also going to experience persecutions. You're going to experience suffering. It doesn't matter. The rain falls on the good and the evil. We are going to experience pain and suffering in this life. There's no escaping it. Those who go after God with all of their heart are going to receive the goodness of, of God. They're going to receive God, but they're also going to experience trials and persecutions and suffering. But they're going to know something about God that those who haven't gone after God don't know they're going to have experienced the goodness of God in a way that only the godly can experience. We're not immune to trials and suffering. We're not immune to cancer. We're not immune to to relational breaks. We're not immune to the economy falling apart. But what I do know is in the midst of it, God is good because I look at Jesus. I look at Jesus who hugs the, the sickest of the sick. I look at Jesus who heals the broken. I look at Jesus who, who walks and gives sight to the blind man. I look at Jesus who even pays his taxes by pulling fish out of the water. I don't know. That's good. I wish I could do that. God is good, even, in, even when it doesn't seem good to me. The big question this brings, though, for me is this. Is does God create my suffering? Does God cause our pain? Does he will cancer or the loss of a child? Let me make this very, very clear for you. Are <laughs> we Ready? This is the punchline right here. No, he doesn't. God does not will your suffering. Nowhere in Scripture do we see a God who desires destruction. Nowhere in Scripture do we see a God who is so capricious and so angry that he wants somebody to suffer unnecessarily. Instead, we see a God that injects His goodness into the middle of the mess. He brings good, allows the bad, and then uses the bad to bring the good. I shared that just a few weeks ago. I'll say it again. God brings the good, He allows the bad, but then He uses the bad to bring the good. He turns our suffering into glory. Luke 7 is just one more example of God's goodness in Jesus. In Luke 7... It tells a story of a woman whose husband had long passed away, so now she was vulnerable. She was a single mom with children who was a widow who couldn't be remarried very easily. And she had to live by her children, basically. Her sons had to provide money. She couldn't work in that culture. She was very vulnerable and out on the edges. And for some reason, her son dies too. Now she's got nothing. She's got nothing left. And they are walking through town. The men of the town are carrying this child to bury him. And she is just... I mean, you can imagine a wreck, right? She is weeping and screaming and wailing and falling behind and just like crawling on hands and knees, just crying, broken. It's one of those even-win moments. And as Jesus walked by, I love this part, he says this, when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her. Another version says that his heart went out to her. Let's pick it up here in Verse 13. When the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her, and he said to her, do not weep. Then he came, and he touched the buyer. That's the, the, the stretcher that the, the boy was on. And he said, young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up, and he began to speak, and Jesus gave him to his mother. What's so amazing about this text, beyond he just raised somebody from death to life, is that we see a picture of God who cares about people's suffering see an image of God who actually cares and has concern, whose heart is moved by the suffering of somebody who should be insignificant by the society standards. And it's not the only story like it. Jesus is constantly doing these things. He's constantly moved by people's sufferings. His heart is consistently touched by the hurts of others. And because of that, we can know by looking at Jesus... But God's heart is moved in the same way by our pain and our hurt. You can look at these texts and see that in our troubles, in our sufferings, in our hardship, in our loss, God's heart goes out to us. So to the sick mom, God's heart goes out to you. To the one who's lost a family member recently, God's heart goes out to you. To the woman with cancer, God's heart goes out to you. To the parent who's struggling with their children, God's heart goes out to you. To the one who failed and messed up this week, God's heart goes out to you. To the parent of teenagers, God's heart goes out to you. Thank God God's heart goes out to me. I want to close with this story. When I was first diagnosed with cancer in my 20s, I had to go through what's called a full-body cat scan has anybody been through one of these nobody Hooray! oh there's one full-body cat scan so if you've never had a cat scan what a cat scan is it's like this giant plastic donut with a bed that goes back and forth i like to call it riding the donut so yeah It'll take a second to so the okay I like call it riding the donut. Uh, now, if you've ever ridden the donut, you know that what they do is they inject you with a dye into your bloodstream, and you go through this thing, and you ride, and, they, and, it, and it takes pictures, like slices of your body at a time. It's kind of creepy when you think about it that way, but it shows the little pictures of your body as it goes through. And they sit, they sit you there, and the hardest part about this thing is that they tell you not to move. Like when everything inside of you, when it's like don't push the red button, you want to push the red button. Don't move, don't breathe, nothing. Just sit there. Okay, so they don't tell you through a microphone because they can't be in the same room with you. It's like, breathe, don't breathe. Breathe, don't breathe. Move, don't move. It's really hard. When I took this first one of these CAT scans, um, I got on the bed and I laid down. And I noticed as I looked up the inside of the donut, there's all these stickers all over the place. And they said, just stare at the stickers and pay attention to those things. The second time I took the CAT scan I went through, I laid down and I looked up at the stickers, and somebody put a sticker of a cross in the middle of all of those stickers. This little image of reminding me of Jesus' suffering, and his death, and his resurrection, reminding me of the hope that we have in Jesus, reminding me of God's goodness, a goodness that would sacrifice his son instead of watching us all perish. And I was able to stare and focus on that little sticker as they said move and don't move move, don't move, breathe, don't breathe and it went through the scan I think sometimes I'll just need a little sticker of that cross sometimes we all just need that little image we look at life we look at the world, we look at the news we look at our suffering and our pain we look at our presidential candidates we think God's not good God's not good God can't be good God is nowhere to be seen in this And all the while, what Jesus is saying is, keep your eyes on me. Keep your eyes on me. Don't look at this stuff. Don't look down. Don't don't focus on the moving or not moving. Don't focus on the pain. Look at me. Keep your eyes on me. Keep your eyes on the cross. remember my goodness. Because the cross is God's goodness on display like what Philip Yancey wrote. He said this, if I'm honest, when it comes down to it, I believe in God for just two reasons. One, a lack of better alternatives. Two, Jesus. It is Jesus in all of his wildness, his slipperiness, his determined resistance of religion and of sin, his healing hands and his loving words, his goodness that convinces me of the goodness of God. The cross is the most universal image in the Christian religion, Christian religion. It offers proof that God cares about our suffering and our pain. He died of it. That symbol stands unique among the religions of the world. Many of them have gods, but only one has a God who cared enough to become a man to die just like us. God is good all the time. All the time, So when life brings suffering and pain, keep your eyes on the cross. Look to Jesus and see the goodness of God. Know that when trials of life are prying your fingers from God's blessings, your health, your wealth, your power, your strength, that God is waiting for you to reach out and grab the best. Hold on to him. He is the very definition of goodness. And know this, The badness of our world does not diminish the goodness of God. It magnifies it. it, makes it even better.